This is private property. This is private property. It's private property. Go get a warrant. Listen, man, this is private property. They're not wanted here. So do your jobs. Because of that, I believe that shutting down dining rooms is probably the best thing that we could collectively do to keep our staff safe. He's had COVID. He's had a staff member have COVID as well. He believes in his staff and protecting his staff and the community and business as well. This is what Josh had to say. And then Josh will be coming up next in the next segment to kind of do housekeeping because I, do, I don't do Josh justice at all. Uh, Chef Josh Nuremberg will be up next. You, you, you listen to this, if you would, Brandon, and then we'll, uh, we'll bid you good day after this. But uh, here's what Chef Josh Nuremberg had to say. Hey everybody, it's Josh Nierberg from Ben 707 Food Bar, Ben Burger, and Taco Party here in Grand Junction. Uh, at this point uh, in the year in COVID, in our response, our pivots, everything else we've done, I've finally just come to the realization that whatever happens with our business, I am no longer in control of whether or not we stay in business. The only thing that I'm in control of at this point is the safety of my staff, our friends, family, and our community. Because of that, I believe that shutting down dining rooms is probably the best thing that we could collectively do to keep our staff safe. We have major labor issues. We have major problems within the restaurant industry. COVID has exemplified those. Our ability to take care of our own is greatly diminished by inviting our guests, healthy or not, into our dining rooms, allowing them to take off their masks and conduct their business. This is not the position that I want to be in, but I believe that I'm able to continue operating with outside dining, our greenhouses, parklets, heated rooms, heated patios, takeout and delivery in a safer fashion than I am with my dining room open to the public. Here in Mesa County, we have a 50% occupancy variance, which allows us to continue operating our dining rooms open. And our dining room is open for business, and it's the part of our operation that keeps me up at night, makes me lose sleep over being able to control our future. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please share this stream. Please reach out and call your friends and family. Uh, this needs to be heard, and he's standing by now. But next is Chef Josh Nuremberg. Welcome back to the Modern Eater Show, Chef. Well, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Man, I can't make ups and downs or rhymes or reasons of anything right now. And like I said to you last time that we talked on the telephone, you could convince me of anything right now, Chef. Leave dining rooms open. Closed dining rooms, again, we're just the pneumatic tube where people are sounding off. There's one thing for certain. People are frustrated right now, and the answers aren't there, and the community seems to be kind of divided. And you, sh uh, you see business owners gathering in uh, Orchard Park, New York, and that's being frowned upon as well, not able to gather and, and communicate ideas with each other. So we're just trying to do that, communicate some ideas with each other here on the Modern Eater Show. And thank you for taking time so that we could have a conversation here today. So at first blush, um, <laughs> what are we seeing right now, Chef? 
Man, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, every day is a different day. We've all been pivoting for months, and it's just, you know, I think all of us are a little scared right now. We've got the beauty of having a kind of nice weather this last weekend, but as soon as it gets cold, everyone's in trouble. Um, and we're running out of help. We're running out of relief. It is, it's far, far past time that we should have seen some relief. Um, you know, you guys heard what I, what I said last week and what, you know, what you and I had talked about a little bit. I think this is, this is all caused by this lack of a top down approach, um, in addressing how we, how we battle coronavirus. It's this bottom up approach. And as soon as it goes bottom up, it, it gets political. Then you're talking about, you know, local ordinances and governors undermining state, undermining federal, et cetera. Just there, it's just not a good answer, you know. And on a local level, the mechanism doesn't exist to provide any sort of stimulus to keep us alive, to go, you know, to go alongside what it's trickled down to this bottom tier level to tell us what we are and are not able to do because it never happened at the top mm-hmm. you know so now we're all in this really tough spot of how do we do what's best and i just you know for me i just i don't have that answer yet I, there's some things that i would like to do but maybe they're right maybe they're wrong i don't know yeah well you've taken in a lot of information since march and you're one of those guys that kind of just assesses the climate and triage when needed but plans in place the best that you possibly can we've got some time with you as much as as you can allow us to have and i'd like to just go slow with this through uh, march and what you've learned through uh, outbreak within your restaurant to uh, contracting coronavirus itself to today and where we're at and folks that are looking for relief and and just really trying to figure out, you know, what's the best that can be done right now. And again, I know you're speaking just for yourself, um, but I think your opinion uh, for what you're going to be doing is is very valid, and, and other folks, you know, are interested in hearing it. So let's start back in March 17th when uh, really the shutdowns took place, and walk us through uh, what you've been doing as a business in Grand Junction. As of March 17th, I had dinner party, taco party, and Ben 707 food bar operating. Dinner party was a 50-seat private dining room that we hosted events several times a month, wine tasting dinners, pharmaceutical dinners, etc. Typically five-course dinners. We're talking 2,000 square feet that sat 50 people. Um, apply COVID distancing to that, we can seat 15 people. Needless to say, dinner party was rendered completely useless as of mid-March. Taco party was quick service, well, still is quick service, counter service, um, with a giant uh, garage door for a window in the front of it. We essentially locked our dining room, opened that garage door, and did takeout um, takeout and delivery through the shortage um, or through the closures and have continued to operate in the same fashion since. We really haven't done much different at Taco Party. Then 707 Food Bar was lunch and dinner seven days a week. It's currently dinner only five days a week. Beginning last Friday with the level red, we returned back to delivery, which we started last March as well. Uh, so we're doing delivery of dinner service only five days a week. For the first two months of the closures in March, uh, we wrote a separate um, kind of family meal menu every day in addition to our full 
a la carte menu that was available for takeout and delivery. We had wine club cocktail um, cocktail kits. Um, we had some um, sort of some of our reserve bottles that we did limited releases to. We did some promotions where we were including glassware with wine purchases. Needless to say, we had a private dining room that was again useless, so we had inventory from that. I mean, we were we were fire sailing everything we could. The biggest move we made, however, when we closed for lunch. It was very important to me that we didn't lose any staff. So the first move we made was to take all of the high-risk staff and put them in the dinner party space, which was closed, and start converting that space into Ben Burger, which is now a counter service burger shop adjacent to Taco Party. So the two spaces use the same POS, uh, the same physical address, but two separate kitchens and two separate rooms. Um, we then took our lunch menu and turned that into, um, kind of edited that down into something that would travel well and then reopened Ben Burger with the lunch menu from Ben 707 Food Bar, keeping 100% of our staff employed. Um, fast forward to the reopenings. We reopened, we had amended um, liquor license for Ben 707 Food Bar. So we licensed about 150, 200 linear feet of sidewalk space in front of Ben. And we literally brought our entire dining room outside every day and moved it back inside at the end of service and served um, close to the same revenue that we were previously doing for a couple of months in the midsummer. Um, we then invested in greenhouses at Ben 707 Food Bar. We have seven greenhouses that we got online in October after we reopened from being closed through quarantine for a couple of weeks with uh, 12 of our staff, that, including myself, that were uh, positive for coronavirus. Uh, and now we are back to seven days a week at Taco Party and Ben Burger. We have um, location-specific QR codes in a brewery caddy corner from us that we are um, doing some... Uh, walkover delivery for that room as well as our takeout. Chef, we are still open for in-person dining. Chef, sorry to interrupt. I, I, I'd, yeah. I'd like for you to circle back around to the outbreak that happened uh, at your yeah. restaurant and the precautions that you did to take place and how you were able to see some similarities to that and national averages and just go through what those numbers looked like and um, what you did as a business owner to make sure the responsible things were being done. Well, sure. And, you know, I think this is kind of, this is the most important part of why I think the dining room shouldn't be open because of the way we saw uh, the virus interact with our staff and what we have left to be able to control that. You know, a big part of this, and Greg, you and I haven't talked about this, but, you know, the Family's First Coronavirus Response Act um, is, is in existence and it's expiring in a month. Uh, but that allows us to, to essentially have a tax credit from paying our staff while they're quarantined. So we can continue to pay our staff while they are infected and sick, um, while we're closed. And then when we reopen, you know, we get a tax credit from our 941 tax, um, um, filings until that tax credit is, is used up. We had 12 staff. Um, if you look at the national averages, we were pretty close to that. We had 
we had four people that had hospitalizations. Of those four people, several of them were repeated hospitalizations lasting as much as five or six weeks from the time that they were infected. Mm-hmm. We had another four staff that had minimal symptoms, um, you know, two, three days worth of symptoms, despite the couple of week quarantine. Um, in my case, I never had a fever. I never lost sense of taste or smell. I had a migraine for three weeks. Um, as that headache started to subside, I realized that was left with um, what they, everyone's calling COVID fog, which is some memory loss and confusion and that kind of stuff, but also weird, weird stuff like rashes, tingly fingers, you know, just a different set of symptoms. And that's kind of been the most difficult for me because as I get tired or stressed or what have you, those symptoms come back. So now it's been two months since I was sick and I'm just getting back to normal. Like you had mentioned, I'm just now even kind of talking about it for the first time. Um, we had, you know, one degree of separation um, with some of our staff that infected um, some of their elderly family. And we had one fatality from that. So looking at that as a sort of one in 10 scenario, four of us were sick, four of us weren't sick, two of us were asymptomatic. Um, you know, who knows how much further it spread from without our group, but the little bit of spread that we did see, we did see a fatality. Uh, our response, the f- first person that got a positive test, and keep in mind, I have a, a daily rapport with most of my staff. So the first person that got a positive test came within about 15 to 20 minutes of two other people reaching out to say that they felt a little off. We made the call then to close the restaurant. Um, I know that a lot of people aren't closing restaurants on every single instance. In that, in that case, for us, it was at the end of a weekend. It was at the end of a busy time frame, which was Wine Fest here in Western Colorado, which is a busy time frame. There's a decent amount of staff that work in multiple locations, so it was really difficult, you know, to trace that back even a day or so the collateral damage could have been a lot higher than it was with only 20 of our 40 people infected. Mm-hmm. However, that's also about 25% of our staff. So quite literally it could have affected every single one of us and one in four people were positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I can so see- we closed, we used that coronavirus um, relief act to take care of our staff while we were closed. To this date, we still have not made any layoffs outside of using the ability to make layoffs to be able to keep our staff safe. Because quite literally, a good portion of my staff is no longer interested in coming to work and pushing every day on the front lines with no protection. And that's kind of, that's what I'm seeing the most of. And it's not that anybody's giving up. It's just that there's no way that we can take care of ourselves. We can protect ourselves if we put, 50 or 60 people outside without their mask or 20 people inside without their mask. That surfer works every day and they see those tables turn once or twice a day. They're seeing 40 people. We have a 15% positivity rate. That means that at any given point, there's a good portion of that as positive inside of our dining room. If you start looking at viral load, if you start looking at what the servers and the bartenders and maitre d and host and hostess and cashiers what they're dealing with on the front lines and this is for every restaurant 
the one thing that makes restaurants unique is that no other industry allows their guests to come into their business and then take off their masks and congregate. Mm. So for us, it's to the point that our servers have been through this. They've been getting tested once a week. They're, you know, the person to the left of them and the person to the right of them may have already been sick and may still have symptoms or may not be able to work because, you know, they can only work two days a week because they haven't fully recovered from when they were sick. But we've also now expended what was initially supposed to protect us for a coronavirus outbreak. And as you all know, anyone working in a restaurant, restaurants are closing one week per month anymore every time they get somebody sick. And that family's first coronavirus uh, response act doesn't cover a year's worth of trying to respond. It covers a single instance. So there's, there's no relief from that end of it, which means we're all just sitting ducks. I feel like we're burning out each other and our staff and the industry. Um, there's no relief in sight if we, you know, whether we stay open or we close our dining rooms. But I can tell you that right now my dining rooms are open because if I was to close them, I'd be the only person in my community. Or I, I shouldn't say that. I should say one of two restaurants in my community that doesn't have in-person dining and we would be sitting ducks that we would we might as well just lock it up and call it quits because somebody that's knocking on the door and finds us closed, it's just going to go to the next person. that's open. However, if we were all closed, all of our dining rooms were, were closed, we would be able to have a response to our guests that started as an equal playing field, right? Whether that's delivery, whether that's takeout curbside, you know, otherwise, I, I at least that's a sustainable business model that I think that we could continue through the winter. We could find creative ways to keep staff employed. We could adjust our hours of operation, our days of the week of operation, so that we could keep our shifts filled so that our staff could keep working. Mm. Um, with what's happened with the Liquor Enforcement Division and their licensing, at this point, as long as a server has car insurance and is certified for 30 bucks, they can come become a delivery person. Mm -hmm. In March, when we did this, I had to, you know, I spent $10,000 insuring my staff so they could drive. Uh, we no longer have to do that. We have some other tools that as business owners, restaurant operators, we can switch to. Mm -hmm. You know, at no other time have we been able to do what we can with alcohol. Um, we can capitalize on that. If our dining rooms weren't full, we can provide other, you know, other ways to take care of our guests. And honestly, for me, the only part of this that that is sustainable for me anyway, is to be able to provide a workplace for our staff that they're not concerned with when they get sick rather than they're concerned with how much longer until we get some support. Okay. Right. Chef Josh Nuremberg here with us today and a lot to unpack from what you've had to say there. What I'm hearing, Chef, is this, this mindset or this shift from being a turnstile to the customer to how can, we best, how can we best help or be stewards of our employees or our staff to where we're thinking of them first and then the customers can work within those parameters? Is, is that kind of the gist of what I'm hearing here? I think so. I mean, you know, if we, 
every single zip code in the state is, has a different set of rules right now. How can anybody use that as a even playing field? And I just, I, I keep coming, you know, coming from Western Colorado, it's not that we have, you know, thousands and thousands of people in the hospitality industry. We have a very small group of people in the hospitality industry and nobody's wanting to get into that industry right now. Mm-hmm. So that's a burnout scenario that, Say we financially make it through this. Say we keep customers open or closed. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a workforce on the other end of this if we continue. Agreed. And that's not just for where I am. That's most of the state. Yeah. So concentrating on just a few things and doing them very well and having this um, consensus. And, and, and again, I would love all uh, restaurant owners to respond to this and, and give us feedback a, a about it. Um, you have a variance in Grand Junction. And that variance is what again, 50% capacity or? Yeah, we have 50% capacity and somehow that variance doesn't decrease with the dial. Mm -hmm. So we've had a 50% uh, occupancy this entire time. Sure. And when we went, went from yellow to orange and orange to red, we stayed at 50%. Yeah. So uh, I know Arapahoe County is trying to appeal to their commissioners to lobby for that same type of variance through the governor's office. Was that variance granted because of the voice of the citizens in Mesa County? Uh, Tell me how that variance came about. Well, you're probably going to get me in trouble here, but that was a couple of different government entities that on behalf of uh, the larger collective without much feedback from that group. Um, we tried to actually do some outreach here locally within the restaurant community, and it was just fell on deaf fears about what we would like to see. So I really don't have much feedback mm-hmm. to how that came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is worth noting in this conversation, you know, it, it Trust me when I say that I completely understand that I'm sitting here with my dining rooms open, arguing to be closed to a bunch of people that have closed dining rooms. That sounds completely ridiculous. I'll also say that at 6.30 p.m. on Friday night, I had eight covers sat inside between three different dining rooms. And the cost of staffing those dining rooms to be in business was far greater than the cost to do those same sales as takeout and delivery. So the efficiencies, you know, we don't have, we, none of us can afford to not be running as efficient as possible. And at this point, having our dining room open for us Mm -hmm. is completely inefficient. Mm -hmm. That was going to be the absolute setup for the next question that I was going to ask you. So as we all try and make sense of this, and I think the one thing is, is, um, okay, I'm in this county and Bob's in the county across the street and literally the division is the street. They have different uh, restrictions and variances and I have different restrictions that I follow. Um, The message is different. The treatment of this is different. But how do restaurant owners, bar owners, come to a consensus of what's best for the restaurants and bars, whether it be closing the dining rooms or having them open. Uh, Just that collective voice that does 
even that playing field and make it so that the, the directive is clear on what to do. It's too confusing of a question to pose to anybody right now because we're working in so many different directions. But I'm seeing this civil unrest happen and I'm seeing some restaurant and bar owner, and we'll just go to, we won't cap it at restaurant and bar owners, just small business people, seeing the division between them and big business operations and it getting greater and greater and seemingly no rhyme or reason, it, it just looks like they're being picked on. What, what's your perception of that? Well, I, you know, everything I've said so far, what I've said so far has been completely my opinion of what I think we should collectively be doing. But you know, Carolyn and I had a conversation last week about this, and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be a spokesperson for the industry. I'm just trying to share what I've come to the conclusion of sure. through my own instances. Mm -hmm. And that said, the ability for each municipality to have a variance is something that we really haven't seen statewide. Uh, every municipality has that opportunity. Several of them have not capitalized on that. But whether that variance is last call or whether that variance is type of industry, you know, why, why is a distillery different from a winery is different from a bar mm -hmm. or what have you? I think that working within those municipalities to create variances that work for where they are is probably the best and smartest move that all of us can make mm. so that we all kind of can speak that language, I guess. Who's opening cans? Is someone pounding beers near you? Do you hear that? You don't hear that? Maybe that's not our. I'm here. There's, there's nobody else in this thing. I know we're hearing beers like there's somebody sitting back pounding beers. I know it's not Jay. He hasn't had a drink in four years. Uh, so it, it's one of these things, and it's frustrating for me as I get people far and wide reaching out via email, um, instant messages, DMs, you name it, um, with frustration of what's next what do we do next is it just is it a is it a hurry up and wait just wait for relief on either a federal we know it can't happen on a local level there's not enough money in the state coffers to be able to subsidize people for their shutdowns what do we do as a community and i think that if there's anything it pulled back the scab chef on how important our communities are to us and how much we need to look out for our own survival. But where do we go from here? Where do we go? Well, I don't know. I don't have that answer. You know, I mean, <laughs> I was looking for it. I told you on that. I told you that soundbite that you played earlier. You know, what happens within our restaurants is no longer in my control. I started today by going through this laundry list of these moves that we made and I've, we've made those moves you know we've got amended dining areas we've got takeout we've got delivery service we've got you name it we've addressed our packaging our websites as optimized as possible you can order food for takeout or delivery from 37 different apps at this point right mm -hmm. I don't think we're in control of this anymore. So then it just becomes a 
conversation of where the ripcord is. You know, well, right now I think December 3rd is the next optimistic cutoff for any sort of federal aid before January. Mm-hmm. And it's likely not going to happen. And if it does, great. But when that time comes, it probably will not fix all of our problems. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that anyone's going to stop getting sick anytime soon mm-hmm. with or without a vaccine. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I've learned one thing from being in Mesa County, we got coronavirus three weeks ago. Right. We've been playing this game for a year. It just got ugly three weeks ago for the first time. And I'll tell you, the other thing is that we don't have a community that's completely up in arms because our health department has been as sort of relaxed as they've been able to with these variances. So it's really they've created a situation that it is up to each individual business. But if you look at our case counts and our numbers over the last two, three, four weeks, I don't know if that's any better. If anything, it's considerably worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we're at 49, 49 fatalities and 45 of them are within the last four weeks. So as we look into the next chapter of this, and you talk about a little bit of loosened regulations there in Mesa, Mesa County, and you've been through all aspects with an outbreak, uh, contracting coronavirus itself, uh, exposing your family to it. Staff's very important to you as well as your business too. You, I have to ask you the question, should it not be kind of sent back to the citizens to say, well, leave it up to me if I feel comfortable to go to a gym. Leave it up to me if I want to go dine in at a restaurant. Let me have... Yeah that choice to be able to go do the things that I feel comfortable with rather than being told what I should feel comfortable with. In my experience, there is no reason for any guest to feel unsafe dining in a restaurant anywhere with our, with, you know, following some basic protocols, six foot distancing, etc. I believe the viral load that a guest has the opportunity to pick up from other guests inside that dining room is slim. Mm-hmm. The other side of that is the ability for employees for our industry to get sick from guests inside of our dining rooms is exponentially higher. And, you know, this industry is is unique and beautiful and amazing because of the type of people that it is filled up with. And those people are from all walks of life at all different stages in their life Mm -hmm. and all different ages with, you know, probably the farthest reaching industry there is in the United States, which means if that industry is the highest at risk that means that we are the greatest danger to our communities by just going to work. So I don't think that this should be a take off your gloves and go for this herd immunity situation. I mean, again, in our case, I still have 30 something employees that now have no other protection if they get sick because we've already used our family first coronavirus relief act, Mm -hmm. which means then we just operate until the next time somebody gets sick and then we're out of business for good, right? Mm-hmm. Or any of us, all of us collectively operate until 
you know, you name the operator, and if they get sick and their mm-hmm. staff gets sick, we haven't, we've barely seen any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're at the beginning of that, and this isn't going away, and mm-hmm. right now everybody's fighting to bring people inside in the middle of winter mm-hmm. with the only support that we have expired. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's, that's a no-win, that's a no-win, unsustainable scenario. All right, here's another no-win scenario. I'm going to ask you to do crystal ball time. So let, let's just head on through the holidays here. And have you been on an airplane lately? No, no. Not, since, uh, not since November of last year. November of last year, okay. I have. It's, um, <laughs> if you're afraid of contracting coronavirus, you'd be terrified to go on an airplane. You're basically... Uh, front to back with 200 of your closest friends that you've never met before. Um, Grocery stores, big box stores, targets of the world, Walmarts of the world, and as we go into a renownedly busy shopping season, the the attrition on small businesses, it's not going to pause. There's going to be no pause button. Businesses are going to continue to shut down. What, what, do, what do you see, what, what do you foresee as we look around us, as we see the division of small businesses and, and big businesses get greater and friends and family around you getting uneasy? What can you imagine if it goes at this pace? What can we, what can we anticipate seeing? I don't know. You know... There's a lot of expensive real estate propped up with a lot of restaurants that nobody can eat in right now. Mm-hmm. Economically speaking, we haven't seen the crash that we should have seen, mm-hmm. which means that it's still too early to even have this conversation, but it doesn't end well. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's say, let's say we make it four months from now with no more um, stimulus and no vaccine readily available. And that four months, that's a really optimistic time frame. It's probably a couple years. If we make it four months, what's the collateral damage of restaurants that can't make it through winter? From where we are now, I could only speculate that it's at least 50%, at least. So then if 50% of the real estate that's occupied by restaurants nationwide no longer has operator in that real estate, then the real estate market crashes. We all remember what happened the last time the real estate market crashed. But I believe if that happens this time, it's going to be a permanent deal because people are not ever going to go back and bet on restaurants again. And we've all figured out how to sell our goods remotely and work from our couches. Mm -hmm. So what does that do for the real estate industry? You know, yeah, sure, we can fill an airplane. And airplanes have far more high-tech air handling scrubbers for a bunch of people within masks than any of our dining rooms do so there is a little bit of truth to that i believe you know i mean so i've been told so i've read um but if people aren't flying it doesn't matter anyway if people can't afford to fly because the money from the real estate industry or the economy can't afford those tickets anymore yeah you know Bezos will get. This is this isn't an optimistic outlook, but the point is, it is far too late for Congress to have not acted, mm-hmm. and when they do, I don't I don't think it's going to be enough, mm-hmm. and 
when they do, it'll probably be the first of many, which means that we're the entire hospitality industry is looking to the government to prop us off for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, it's going to get interesting. Boy, and it sure has been interesting. What's your backup plan, man, as we, we enter a time to where there's probably only going to be breadsticks and olive gardens and, um, you know, Jeff Bezos. Oh, in and out. Don't forget, in and outs. <laughs> in and outs, that's right. What's your backup plan, man? Do you have any other skills? I'm getting pretty good at putting out burgers quickly <laughs> through orders that come out of a printer. Yeah, I'll bet you are. Uh, okay, let's le let's leave this on a positive note. You do such great creative things. Jay's playing a side by side of um, the glory days back when the dining room was full. We do vi come visit you, and man, I look at this right now, and I almost just it's it's just so sad. It's just terribly sad. Um, what's going on with you? What kind of things are you guys th doing creatively? What can people expect from you? Are you doing Thanksgiving dinners, alcohol to go? I know you are. What cool stuff's happening there in Grand Junction? No, we're, we're trying to stay out of the holiday game. There's a decent amount of places that want to be in the holiday game. We've done everything we can to keep our staff um, as comfortable as possible, and I firmly believe that we should be closed for the holidays. So I'm, we're not getting into that game. Um, are you going to close? We're, we're close for Thanksgiving. We're close for Christmas. Good. Well, you know, if we if we lose our variants, we may close for a week in between. From creativity side, I'm you know on social over the last couple of days, I've posted some food photos, which yeah. is staging for our websites. Uh huh. I mean, we spent six months staging food photos into takeout boxes. You know, what's like, up with the wine project though? You said you had something cool that's coming up. Well, we so um. Garrett from Carlson Vineyards uh, and the couple of the bin crew and uh, our friends from Consuming Create all kind of partnered together to launch this wine brand called High Desert Wine Lab. Uh, that was two, three years ago. Sweet. Um, and Ben has always been pretty, pretty early adapter, if you will, to different wine trends. So, you know, we were really early with Orange, with Natty, with all that stuff. And I think that's just, I believe that wine is an agricultural uh, product rather than a luxury product. And I think that Garrett shares those beliefs. So he's uh, taken that opportunity to explore some orange wine with Colorado grapes. And I think that picture was one of the first samples of it. It's pretty exciting. How was it? Hopefully it will. Oh, it was killer. It was awesome. Um, it was like opening a bag of dried apricot. Mm -hmm. It was such a unique, interesting um aroma but the balance in the mouthfeel was just awesome but if that continues to uh to function as it has been hopefully we'll see those in bottles within the next couple of months um you know out of out of his tasting rooms and out of our restaurants and if you know if it's successful we'll go from there but it's you, you know that's why we're here that's we're in western colorado so we can play with produce so we've got access to grapes and wine and everything else and God. No matter what, still what's driving our menu. That's all I want to talk to you about. I don't want to talk to you about this crap. I want to talk to you about food and the, the taste hey. of your region and how you source stuff. And, you know, there's one thing about you, though, Chef. Um, I admire you fully, and it's not about you. It's about the people around you that have propped you up for years because it takes a team. 
and you recognize that you're not just that team. It's everybody around you, and you sure take care of everybody around you. You exemplify community, and I think that if we can just look at what you're doing in a microcosm and make that bigger, that we've got it licked. I don't know how to get there, though, but I'm going to try and figure it out. Well, you know, if I, I think if there's any takeaway from any of this conversation or anything moving forward is that there's a lot of tools with these variances and regionality that it's just not being employed yet. And I think that there's opportunity there. So it's like a full time you know, job keeping up on these dots. It's a full-time job keeping up on these dials and these variances. And what you, it totally, it, it, you know it is. And I have no idea how you have such a great grasp of it. And if this is you with a cloudy mind and a little foggy, I can, man, I don't know. You, you run circles around me any time of the day. Um, much love and respect. You and your beautiful family, keep kicking, man, and, and just do what Josh does, man. Keep it going. Well, thanks, Greg. Thanks for the kind words. And thanks, Jay. And thank you guys for doing what you do. Hang in there. Keep telling the story. Yeah, you bet, man. No ants. I wish I had answers. I don't. All we can do is be a pneumatic tube for people to come in and hold this conversation. So thanks for your time today. Absolutely. Have a good one. Take care, guys. You too, Chef Josh Nuremberg.